0: All right, what's up YouTube? I'm Minister Derek Hallett of Sound the Trumpet Ministries, soundthetrumpetministries.com. And today I wanna do a teaching called The Fulfillment of the Law. The Fulfillment of the Law. Now, why do I wanna go here and talk about this? I've done many teachings concerning the law, concerning the gospel. Concerning uh, the curse of the law, concerning the fulfillment of the law. You know, tonight I think we're going to wrap it up, although I do have one called um, The Law and the Gospel coming up in a couple of weeks. And I already have it set, already ready to go. But part of the reason why I'm going to do this is because, one, I want to see brothers and sisters set free. I want people to understand what is the proper doctrine and what God is looking for so that we can be in good standing with God, because a lot of people don't know what they believe, they don't know, you know, what they should believe, and they don't know what they still should follow and what they don't. I personally believe that there is no way through laws, you know, you can govern a Christian's life only but by the Holy Ghost, when people are born again and giving things to Christ. Hey, Sister Sarah, you know, so it's one of those situations where. I believe the Holy Ghost may use things to get to people until they mature. You know, let's just keep in mind that you must mature, you know, in this walk. This is not just a thing of, you know, just having your Bible out in front, just reading it and going to church and doing whatever. I do believe that God allows certain things for certain periods of time that we can grow spiritually. But we all know through the doctrine, through the word of God and all that is said that Jesus Christ in you is the hope of glory, okay? And that's what we must understand. Jesus Christ is the hope of glory to anyone that considers themselves a believer. So tonight we're gonna cover the law. We're gonna go through quite a few things. We're gonna talk about the fulfillment of the law and what God meant so that we will not be victim to false doctrine, okay? and. Obeying those who don't know the word of God. They're just people that'll just tell you certain things about it. And, you know, I just hate to see the ignorant and unlearned try and get a lot of uh, Christians, especially babes, into beliefs that are not of God because what it does is it destroys the faith of some, it gets in the way of the things that God wants us to be able to do. You know, one thing that definitely comes between man and God is religion. And that's something that we've got to learn in time that unless we seek the face of God, unless we become full of Jesus Christ, we can't be what he wants us to be. So that's something that we've got to understand. And that's what we're gonna be talking about tonight. I'm gonna try and bring up every argument I can possibly think of that the Lord wants to bring up for clarity. So that we have an understanding of the Old Testament and the New. All right. And I know this is one of those controversial issues that draw people that have some, you know, a bunch of negative things to say. But I'm hoping that the brothers and sisters who really want to learn, they'll have their Bibles out in front, they'll hear the gospel, and they'll hear the words in their entirety. And then you decide I can't make you believe, you know, what's true. I can't make you believe what's false. But the thing is, is let's get back to logical thinking, studying God's word, getting an understanding of it that we can see. So I would encourage listeners tonight, have your Bibles out in front so that you can hear the gospel yourself, you can hear the words, and then you tell me what is clear and what is true. And I understand that when you come and you present things like this, if you're going to be on, you know, uh, publicly to make a statement, then a lot of people are going to accuse you or come against you publicly, that's fair. But all I want people to do in this entire study is weigh the evidence so that they might get what the Lord is saying, okay? Why we had the Mosaic law, why Jesus Christ gave us a new covenant, and why those two do not run together A lot of the times when you see that run together, you see a lot of misunderstanding. Not that the Old Testament was wrong. It's got more to do with understanding what it was good for in its time. What principles remained and what others have been taken away. This is what we're here to clear up tonight so that people, God's people will not be ignorant to the snares of the devil, false prophets and teachers, and those who attempt to take the light out of a Christian's life, okay? So that's what we're gonna get into. So let's get into prayer and we'll get right into this lesson. Heavenly Father, in Jesus name, Lord, we thank you. We come before you with bowed heads and humbled hearts and contrite spirits, thanking you once again for another day not promised to us. And we ask Lord that you forgive us of our sins and our iniquities and our shortcomings, and our transgressions, and those things that place a veil between you and us. Lord, I'm asking, Lord, that you invite the Holy Spirit into this teaching tonight. I pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit teaches that he may open the eyes, the ears, and the hearts and give those who are followers of Jesus great revelation and understanding as to what your word says. And I pray, Lord, that no man's heart be heard tonight, that no flesh be glorified, but only through the power of the Holy Spirit that people may decide to choose life and not death. We pray, Lord, that this message glorifies you and gives us an understanding as to who you are. We pray in Jesus' name that the eyes, the ears, the minds, and the hearts will be open to receiving the truth in Jesus Christ. And we pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that you bind every foul spirit every demonic spirit, every spirit of error, contention, or confusion, every spirit of jealousy, malice, and hatred, and all spirits of fear, doubt, and unbelief. We pray in Jesus' name that every religious spirit, every dogmatic spirit, every compromising spirit, and every confused spirit in Jesus' name, we pray that you bind the devil, Lord, that you keep him at bay, that you push him out in aside, side, that your people may understand what your word says and what it truly means to have sound doctrine and be a follower of Christ. For you are the King of Kings. You are the Lord of Lords. You are faithful, just and true, and worthy of all praises. We pray and we ask that all these things be done, Lord, for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so this is what we're going to be talking about: the fulfillment of the law. Let's get started. I want to go to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, and let's begin at verse 1. Matthew chapter 5. Let's look at verse 1. And it says, And seeing the multitudes, he who was Jesus went up into a mountain. for they shall obtain mercy. Now notice, this is called the Beatitudes that we're reading. And all he's talking about is those who are blessed. Now notice he didn't mention a law. He didn't mention anything else, but let me continue. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the poor in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you." Okay, so what Jesus is bringing forward here and what we're getting an understanding of is, the Lord revealed this to me a while back that the Beatitudes really do speak of the nine fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, long suffering, goodness, gentleness, faith, meekness and temperance. And what does the Bible say for that? For such there is no law. Okay, so now, We go into, look at verse 14. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. So what is he telling them? To not be ashamed of the gospel, to shine that light, which is Jesus Christ unto everyone. Look at verse 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father, which is in heaven. So what Jesus is speaking of from verse one until verse 16 is your good works. Okay, we're gonna know them later as you know the works of the spirit, but I just wanna set the floor and make this point. Now here comes verse 17. The reason I went there is, is because we cannot take things out of context. He says, think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Okay, so if you look at the word law, this is G3551. That word is called nomos and it means anything established, anything received by usage, a custom or law, a command. Now, you guys keep that in mind about the, a command. And then it says, of any law whatsoever, a law or rule producing a state approved of God by the observance of which is approved of God, a precept or injunction, the rule of action prescribed by reason, and this is another one, of the Mosaic law and referring accounts. And it says to the context, Either to the volume of the law or to its contents. And then here's another one: the Christian religion. The law demanding faith, the moral instruction given by Christ, especially the precept concerning love. That's where we're gonna go, and this is where it's gonna make sense. The name and uh, the name of uh, the more important part, the Pentateuch. Uh, is put for the entire collection of the sacred books of the Old Testament. So as you can see, the law does not only mean the Mosaic law, it gives many different meanings. The one I believed and I know that Jesus is talking about when it says, and this is C, the Christian religion, the law demanding faith, the moral instruction given by Christ, especially the precept concerning love. I'm going to prove this, that this is what he's talking about but for now, let's get back into it. So Jesus made clear, think not that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I didn't come to destroy, but to fulfill. Then he says, for verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, uh, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. So is he speaking of the Mosaic law, or is he speaking of The Christian law, we're going to see what he's talking about specifically. And look at verse 19, he says, whosoever therefore shall break one of the least commandments and shall teach men, so shall he be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is not speaking of the old Mosaic law, He was taking it back to the Beatitudes for those who were blessed, for those who will let their light shine and to make clear that Jesus didn't come to destroy the law, but to fulfill. And I'm going to prove to you that the fulfillment of the law was Jesus's death, burial and resurrection on the cross and giving you and I the Holy Spirit that we could follow and worship God. I'm going to prove this because he says, look at verse 20, For I say unto you that except your righteousness, notice his focus is on righteousness, shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. So the scribes and Pharisees were those who kept the Mosaic law, that's clear. That's all they ever talked about. Even when Jesus tried to confront them with the gospel, in John 8, all they kept talking about is we are Abraham's seed. We were never in bond to any man. You know, they, they accused Jesus as being a drunkard and sitting with the sinners. They accused him of not doing the things that they did. So as you know, Jesus lived a very separate life. Okay, the Bible makes clear in several cases, Jesus had broken the Sabbath. For whatever reasons, it's not important. The bottom line is, I am going to give understanding tonight on um, what the Lord was actually doing and what he was showing man, okay? Because a lot of people think Jesus was keeping the Sabbath, but I'm here to tell you that he wasn't. It didn't have anything to do with the Sabbath. We're gonna find out exactly what Jesus meant because they'll say, okay, he went in Luke four into the synagogue as it was on the Sabbath day as his custom was. Okay, If, if anyone tells you that Jesus was born under the law, That's absolutely true. I mean, he was born under the law. When he became 30 years of age, he went into the synagogues on the Sabbath day to tell people that the scripture was fulfilled, that he came to do the prophecy of Isaiah 61. He was coming as their Messiah. Okay. Just like Paul, they'll say, oh, he went into the Sabbath day. But yeah, what did he do on the Sabbath day in these synagogues? He went in to dispute about the scriptures and to talk to people about Christ. The day that people meet up is not my argument. Whether people meet up on Saturday or Sunday makes no difference. You've got to ask yourself, did they keep the Sabbath in the New Testament? But I'm going to stick to the fulfillment of the law because I want to make some key points here that we've got to be able to see beyond. Whatever day you decide to worship the Lord, that's up to you. Okay, there is liberty in the spirit, but we must understand if we think we're keeping the old Mosaic law to please Christ, you're never gonna have that because he gave us a new covenant. So let's go and examine Exodus chapter 20. Okay, as a matter of fact, let's go to uh, Matthew 22. Let's go to Matthew 22 and let's look at verse 35. I believe that Jesus answers uh, Matthew 17 and Matthew 22. I mean, Matthew 5 and 17 and Matthew 22 and 35. This is where he answers. So we don't have to try and figure out what the Lord meant. And guys, I would encourage you to really listen because we're gonna go into depth about what the Lord said, what he meant. And I'm sure after this teaching, for those who wanna hear the truth, There'll be no misunderstanding. Okay, so this is Matthew 22. Let's look at verse 35. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the Lord? Jesus said unto him, thou shall love the Lord with thy God, with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. Uh, this is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all of the law and the prophets. So Jesus said, on the two commandments of first, loving the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself as the second one. He said on those two commandments, Hang all of the law, not any of the, you know, anything else that you want to talk about. Hang all the law and the prophets. Hang it all on those two commandments. I'm going to show you now how if you read, if you look at the Ten Commandments, it is the fulfillment of what Jesus Christ had said. It wasn't um, a question of whether or not what, you know, what the Ten Commandments might have said. The point is, could we keep it? Could we love our neighbor? Could we do those things that Christ commanded us to do without the spirit? So let's look at Exodus chapter 20. Exodus 20, and we are gonna look at verse one. This is where God lays down the 10 commandments. Exodus 20 and one. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord thy God, which is, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Now I want to ask, does that go under the law, under the list of the first and great commandment? Love the Lord thy God with your heart, mind, and soul. Absolutely. Look at four. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Does that fall under the first and great commandment? Love the Lord thy God with your heart, mind and soul? Absolutely, because he's telling you not to be an idolater. Look at verse five. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Does that fall under the first and great commandment of the law as Jesus says? Absolutely. And shewing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Does that go in line with loving the Lord your God? Absolutely. Then he says in verse eight, uh, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Does that go under the, um, the uh, loving the Lord your God with your heart, mind, and soul? Absolutely. Okay, we're not gonna be arguing about the Sabbath, but I wanna make the point. He says six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work So as we see here, this falls right in line with loving the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Why did God give them the Sabbath? Because he wanted them to remember that their creator made everything in six days and rested on the Sabbath. He also wanted to teach a bunch of heathen people while he was laying down the law that spent their time in Egypt. Hey guys, learn to put aside one day for me that you can reverence me, that you can be full of me. This was a start. This was not the fulfillment. This is the beginning. This is where, okay, give God a day. Man, when you become one with Christ, you worship him every day. And anyway, let me make the point. So now, after we've covered those first five commandments, they were about loving the Lord your God. Now, if you look at the second five, it begins in verse 12, it says, "'Honor thy father and thy mother, that, the, "'that thy days may be long upon the land "'which the Lord thy God giveth thee.'" Is that about loving your neighbor? Yes, your parents or even your neighbor. Thou shalt not kill, Does that, um, is that about loving your neighbor? Absolutely, thou shalt not commit adultery. If you love your neighbor, you're not gonna sleep with his wife or her husband. Thou shalt not steal, you're not gonna take from your neighbor, That which is not yours. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Okay, that tells you right there. Don't lie on your neighbor if you love him. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, okay, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. And all the people saw the thunderings and lightnings and noise of the trumpet and of the mountain smoking, when the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off. So as you can see, he laid down the 10 commandments. The first five are about loving the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The second five is to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says on those two commandments to hang all of the law and the prophets. There you have the 10 that Jesus is telling us, if we love them, then that's the only law that we need to follow from the Mosaic law is to fulfill those two commandments. You complete the 10. Okay. Now we're going to really get into this because I want people to understand where they've been wrong, what the fulfillment of the law is all about and what Jesus Christ came to do. And if we overlook it, it's going to lead you and on to a place of pretty much forsaking everything he did. If you look at uh, John 19 and 30, Jesus says it is finished. Now, was Jesus on the cross at that time dying for our sins? Absolutely. When Jesus said it is finished, that was the fulfillment of that covenant, being able to be brought to life to us because it took the death of Christ in order for us to have his spirit. So that's important that we understand this, okay? Now let's dig in. I'm gonna prove to you in real time that this is what Jesus came, this is what he meant, and we're gonna talk about the fulfillment of the law. Let's look at Matthew 19, because I know last time I tried to do this, they tried to cut me off, so I might just repeat it twice because I want people to have an understanding of this so that they won't be in bondage. There's nothing uglier than a spirit of bondage. All right, Matthew 19, guys, let's look at 16. It says, and behold, one came and said unto him, good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? This young man is asking the Lord, what must I do that I may inherit eternal life? Don't let that shoot by you because you see a lot of us are doing a lot of things that we think we're getting closer to God with, but we don't even have an understanding of what the Lord is saying. Hey, Melissa. So, you know, this is what the Lord is saying. So he says, uh, what must I do that I may have eternal life? Now, let's look at what Jesus says. And he said unto him, why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, and that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, you know what that word for life is? That's Zoe life. This is G2222. Okay, that word means life, a state of one who is possessed of vitality or is animate, every living soul, of the absolute fullness of life, both essential and ethical, uh, which belongs to God. And through him, both uh, to the uh, hypostatic hypostatic, um, uh, logos and to Christ in whom the logos put on human nature, a real life or life real and genuine, a life active and vigorous, denoted to God, blessed in the portion, even in this world, of those who put their trust in Christ. But after the resurrection, to be consummated by new ascensions or um, accessions, sorry, among them, uh, a more perfect body and to last forever. So Jesus is pretty much telling this guy here to sum it up. If you're going to reach eternal life, if this is where you're going to get to, to have eternal life, look at what he says. Okay. If you're going to have, where am I? Okay. That if you will... uh, let me see. Let me go back to 17. And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good, and that is one that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. He saith unto him, Which? Jesus said, Thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery. Do these guys, do these words sound um familiar, guys? We just read them. Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother. And thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. What is Jesus pointing this man towards? The last five of the Ten Commandments, which is about loving your neighbor. Look at verse twenty. The young man saith unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? Jesus said unto him, If thou will be perfect, what does that perfect mean? It means mature. It means to be full. Okay. He says, Go and sell that thou hast and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So, what was the Lord trying to direct this young man to? Following him, you know, who was also God, and, you know, loving the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength. This man. Did not love the Lord his God with his heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's why he went. So he was able to fulfill the first, uh, I mean, the second great commandment, but he couldn't fulfill the first. And to be honest with you, he didn't love his neighbor either because Jesus would have led him to reaching other people with the gospel that souls would have been saved. So this man didn't love the Lord his God with his heart, mind, soul, and strength, nor did he love his neighbor. So, this man could not fulfill the law. I'm going to point out something else to you guys. You can't fulfill the second law unless you keep the first. Why? Because it's the life and the love that comes from Christ that springs forward to loving your neighbor right. A lot of us think we love our neighbor, but look how we treat them. You see, but God's love is selfless love, it's pure love. But this man could not fulfill it. But the point I wanted to bring up is, This young man asked Jesus, what must he do to inherit eternal life? And if you notice, Jesus never mentioned the old Mosaic law and he never mentioned the Sabbath, why? Because he said to put those things on the law, I mean, hang all the law and the prophets on those two commandments, to love the Lord his God with his heart, mind, soul and strength and love his neighbor as himself. Now, some people will say, well, isn't the Sabbath day a day of rest? Yes, it was, but we got to understand that the Bible makes clear in in, uh, Hebrews chapter four that when you go into Christ, you enter into your rest. Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So you see, when you are partaker of God's spirit, what you will end up doing is allowing the spirit of God to lead your life. But those that are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So it won't be in your fleshly effort. It will be in the spirit. That's important that we understand that. That's what the Sabbath day was all about. I did a teaching uh, a couple of months ago on the law. Uh, what was it? The Holy Ghost and the Sabbath. You guys look that up if you want more understanding and how you break that down. Cause the Sabbath is not our focus tonight. We're talking about the fulfillment of the law. Okay, so look at verse 23. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, they were exceeding amazed saying, who then can be saved? But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, with men, this is impossible, but with God, All things are possible. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, what is the regeneration? The born again process of the new life of the new covenant. When the son of man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel, and every one that have forsaken houses, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, for the name's sake of Jesus, shall receive an hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life." So what is this going down to? loving the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. But many that are first shall be last and the last shall be first. So I brought that point up just to prove the point that Jesus had plenty of time to mention the old covenant, but what he was showing them is what Hebrews 10 refers to as the new and living way, under the new covenant, pursuing Jesus Christ. Now we're gonna get into the fulfillment of the law. Let's go to first Timothy chapter one. First Timothy chapter one. But no matter what you show people, people are gonna do what you want, do what what they want. But it's not so much I want people to follow me, I don't. I want them to follow Christ. But you see, people gotta understand that there could be barriers. In the way of their growth that's keeping them from being one with Jesus. Okay? And I mean, you know, we've done tons of teachings on that. I did a teaching called The Curse of the Law that I want people to understand. But I am actually gonna read, let's go to First Timothy chapter one. But I'm also gonna read something to you guys after this about the Sabbath day. And we got to ask ourselves: is this what Jesus really worshipped? Did Jesus really believe? in the Sabbath or was Jesus telling them certain things for certain reasons? Let's look at first Timothy chapter one. Let's look at verse one. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the commandment of God, our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope unto Timothy, mine own son in the faith, grace, mercy and peace from God, our father in Jesus Christ, our Lord. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus When I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. So what does Paul want? Paul wants everyone to teach the right doctrine, the one that he brought. Okay, look at verse four. Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which minister questions and strifes, um, rather than godly edifying, which is in faith so do. So, he's making clear not to pay attention to strife and, um, I mean, to endless genealogies and all these things that cause strife because, you know, there are some people today that believe that they are the people of God because of their skin color. I mean, you want to talk about pathetic. I got a teaching coming up on that too. But anytime you're concerned with the flesh, you're not walking in the spirit. Anytime your color means something to you, then you're in the flesh because Jesus talks about, if any man, or Paul says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, old things are passed away and behold, all things become new, okay? So this is what we're talking about here. Look at verse five, now the end of the commandment is charity, what is the word charity, guys? That word is agape, that's speaking of love, the end of the commandment. Doesn't that sound a lot like the fulfillment of the law? it says, is charity. That's the end of the commandment. Out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned, from which some having swerved, you see that? They turned aside unto vain jangling. Let's look up the word vain jangling. This is G3150. That word means vain talking or empty talk. Okay, so we understand that Vain jangling is like Babel. You're talking about things that are really no value to someone's salvation. Anything that is not in line with the salvation of God is considered vain jangling, okay? It's vanity. Why? Because it doesn't endure. Only eternal life endures. Only the things that God commands us to do, those are the things that endure, okay? Look at verse seven. He says, desiring to be teachers of the Lord, understanding neither what they say, nor whereof they affirm. So you don't think that they had this issue in Paul's day, people leading you back up under the old Mosaic law, leading you onto things that are not of God? Of course they did. He says they desire to be teachers of the law, but they don't even understand neither they, um, what they say, nor whereof they affirm. Look at verse nine, but we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. So we know that the law that you know they had in the old Mosaic time, it was good. But man couldn't really use it lawfully because man couldn't keep it. It did nothing for your conscience. It didn't do anything to take away your sin. It was an appeasement to God. That's why when Jesus came and he said, It is finished. Then the New covenant, which is what is what we're supposed to follow, because the New covenant is the life of Christ. I'm going to prove all of this. Look at verse nine, knowing this that the law is not made for a righteous man. okay? so we need to make that clear. If you're righteous, if Christ is in you, if He's leading you and he's guiding you, the law wasn't made for you. The law was made for transgressors. the law was made for those. You can get an example of this, of you driving down the highway, and you know you hear a police siren coming, and if you're speeding, you know that they came for you. Why? Because you're breaking the law. But if you're walking within the confines of the spirit, obeying God, and doing what the Lord says, fulfilling the two commandments, loving the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself, there's nothing that could be said against you. Well, I mean, you know, if you're riding down the street at the speed limit, you could care less what the cops are doing. You know why? You're not breaking the law. Okay? The police were put there for lawbreakers, laws were put there for lawbreakers. If I go within the confines of the law of the spirit, then I'm in good standing with God. And I'm going to prove that it's not the old Mosaic law that we're following today but the new law, we are going to sum this thing up so that you will have no doubt whatsoever what the fulfillment of the law is and what Matthew 5 and 17 was speaking of. So he says, uh, look at verse nine, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers. These are all about people that don't love their Lord or their neighbor, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. So as you can see, the law wasn't made for the righteous, the law was made for the unrighteous, for those who don't love their Lord, or their neighbor. Okay, That's why the law was put there. He knew that they came out of Egypt. They were a lawless people. They had adopted most of the traditions of the Egyptians, and they needed to be retaught. That's just like the difference between walking your dog on a leash when you first got him to train him up, and then you take him off the leash, and you know he's going to walk through walk with you and not run ahead of you. And why will he do that? because of the relationship that you have established with him, that he's not gonna run and leave you. He wants to be next to you. That's something that relationship gives you that religion cannot. And it's it's time that we see this and get a true understanding of what this is. Okay, so I just wanted to bring that point forward. Now we're gonna get into the gospel. Now we're gonna make the points that are necessary. So let's go to uh, Luke 24. Luke 24, and let's look at verse 40. This is just the beginning of summing it up, and then we're gonna really get into it. And I'm not doing this to aha anybody or to compare things with anyone. I want people to be set free, because I'm telling you, man, you've got these religious groups out there telling people that the Holy Ghost was given to us so that we could keep the old Mosaic law. That's a lie from hell. They bewitched you. Because they don't understand, like Paul says, neither are they even aware of what they're teaching you. you know. And that's why we've got to be taught, right? We need revelation of the spirit. We need understanding of the Lord and we definitely need to learn to walk with Jesus. All right, you guys hold it there. I want y'all to look at something else real quick, okay? This was a very good article. You guys will find it down in the description box. Okay, but it speaks about what was the purpose of of why Jesus said what he said about the Sabbath in Matthew 24. I've got to read this to you guys because I want people to really understand. And I want to take the bullets out of all the guns of the people that want to go back to the old Mosaic law. If you go back there, it's because you want to. It has nothing to do with, you know, what is right and what we're supposed to be following. Okay, so let me find this real quick. But I want to make this point. Okay, I may have to get back. Okay, here it is. This is called the true reason why Jesus says, pray that your flight may not be in the winter, okay? Or on the Sabbath day. They talking about Matthew 24 and 20. Guys, look at this. It says, Sabbatarians falsely teach that Christians uh, would be keeping the Sabbath in 70 AD uh, when Jerusalem was destroyed. So the argument a lot of people make is the reason why Jesus said, pray that your flight not be in the winter on the Sabbath day is because Jesus didn't want anybody to interrupt the Sabbath day. That's not true. And I love the way this person explained it. And I looked up everything they said and found it to be true. So he says, Whosoever is in the field must not turn back to get his cloak, but woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. But pray that your flight not be in the winter or on the Sabbath." Okay, that's Matthew 24, 18 through 20. Jesus said, but pray that your flight may not be on a Sabbath, Matthew 24 and 20. Jesus told them to pray, not so the Christians wouldn't break the Sabbath, but because of living in Jerusalem, the Jews who controlled the city always closed the gates and the Christians uh, could not escape. Okay, the true reason why Jesus said, pray that your flight be not on the Sabbath day. This is A, it says the reason Jesus said to pray that the city would not be destroyed beginning on the Sabbath day is obvious to anyone but Sabbatarians. Jerusalem was a Jewish dominated town, which kept 100% of the law of Moses up to 70 AD. The gates of the city would be closed on the Sabbath. Okay, that's Nehemiah 13, 15 through 22. You guys read that in your spare time, but it made clear that on the Sabbath day, that gates, the gates of the city would be closed. So you know that 70 AD had everything to do with the destruction that the Romans would bring to Jerusalem. Well, Jesus was talking about them being able to get out and escape, okay? It had nothing to do with the Sabbath day, this is two. It says the gates of the city would be closed on the Sabbath day, this is three. This would hinder the Lord's instructions to the Christians to get out of the city before the Roman armies destroyed the city, as Jesus said in Luke 21 and 20. Jesus lists uh, three things that would hinder fleeing the city in Matthew 24, 15 through 21. Pregnant or nursing mothers hindered for obvious reasons. Winter would hinder because of the exposure to cold and snow. Sabbath day because gates of the Jewish controlled city of Jerusalem would be locked and they could not get out. This is C. Sabbatarians argue that Jesus mentioned the Sabbath in order that they might not sin and break the Sabbath, which Christians were required to keep. This is nonsense. For Jesus showed Jesus showed uh, that the life of a man was worth more than the Sabbath day. That's Mark two and 27. Are inventors really willing to say that Jesus accepted a man to break the Sabbath, to get a farm animal out of a pit, but a man could not run to save his own life on the Sabbath day? Inventors really don't think uh, through their argument very well. Like this is another one. It says, Jesus taught that under such circumstances, such fleeing of the city on the Sabbath would not be sin. Obviously then, Jesus did not have the sacredness of the day in mind when he told them to pray that their flight out of the city of Jerusalem, not be on the Sabbath day. Jesus prophesied that the city of Jerusalem would be destroyed in 70 AD, that's Luke 21, five through 24. And while uh, some were talking about the temple, that it was adorned with beautiful stones uh, and votive gifts, he said, as for these things, which you are looking at, the days will come, in which there will not be left one stone upon another, which will not be torn down." Okay, this is Luke um, 21 and 20. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize that her desolation is at hand. So I just wanted to read that real quick because this makes perfect sense. It brings total understanding as to why Jesus says, "'Pray that it's not on the Sabbath day, "'it's because the gates were closed, of the city, and you know that the Pharisees still ran things back then. The Pharisees were connected with the Romans, okay? I mean, Herod himself wasn't even a Jew. He was appointed by the Romans, okay? He was a Roman, or what you would call an Idumian. but the bottom line is they ran the city, okay? So Jesus was making clear, guys, if you're going to flee, you know, pray that it's not on the Sabbath day. It's not because he was worshiping the Sabbath nor calling it, um, you know, his holy day. So I love the example that that person brought because people swear up and down that Jesus kept the Sabbath, but that's not what this is about. So let's look at Luke 24. Let's look at verse 40 as we talk about the fulfillment of the law. This is Luke 24 and 40. And when he had thus spoken, he shewed them his hands and his feet, And while they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, have ye here any meat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and of a honeycomb and he took it and did eat before them. This is Jesus in the glorified body. Look at verse 44. And he said unto them, these are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you that all things must be fulfilled. So what is Jesus talking about? Which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning who? Me. Who is who? Jesus. So Jesus had a glorified body. He's eating with them. He's spending time with them. and He says, this is why, this is how the scripture needed to be fulfilled in the law of Moses and in the prophets and Psalms concerning him. Okay, look at verse 45, then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. Look at verse 46, and said unto them, thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. That's what he was talking about concerning the fulfillment of the the law. He didn't raise in a regular body, He raised in a glorified body, but that was the fulfillment of what needed to happen for you and I. Why? Look at verse 47. And that um, repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. So what was he talking about? He was talking about the repentance and the remission of sins being fulfilled that only Jesus Christ can do through his death, burial, and resurrection. Why? Because he gave us the spirit. He's gonna cover that right now, but that's the fulfillment of the law. Let me prove it. Look at verse 49. And behold, I send the promise of my father upon you. What is the promise of the father? the Holy Ghost, okay? So this is the promise that he wanted to give them, and this would be the fulfillment of the law. Why is that so? Because outside of the spirit, we can't do the things that God wants. The Holy Ghost gives you the spirit to sanctify you that by nature, you will obey God. You won't be trying to work for him, you won't be trying to perform for him, you won't be trying to do outward works in the flesh, what you would be doing is obeying him because the spirit sanctifies us not to get us to obey laws, but to make us righteous. And you know that the law was not made for a righteous man. Look at what he says. And behold, this is verse 49 again. I send the promise of my father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. So you know the the power that was sent from on high was in Acts the second chapter. Jesus told them that they would receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon them. So the Holy Ghost is the fulfillment of the law because it's not about doing righteous works. It's about becoming righteous by nature, okay? Not performing, but to have the nature of Christ to do the things that Jesus Christ said to do. Man, this gets me hyped up, but this tells you right there. But you know what? If that ain't enough convincing, let's go to Romans chapter 13 and let's look at verse one. I'm gonna prove this point again and again and again and again. So if you stick with the old Mosaic law, it's because you want to. And hey, if that's what you want, knock yourself out. But Jesus, uh, what he wants to do is, and what he died for, was to make you and I like him. That's why he could break the Sabbath because he didn't need one day to prove his love to the Father. Jesus was with the Father every day. Jesus loved the Father every day. Jesus communed with the Father every day. Jesus prayed without ceasing and so did Paul. That's what the Spirit gives you that the old Mosaic law came. Romans 13, let's look at verse one. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror uh, to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power do that which is good and thou shalt have praise of the same. So he says, don't worry about the powers and other things that people are saying. This is all about us being righteous. So, you know, a lot of us have high powers in church and things like that, that God gives. You know, I mean, even though this is the devil's kingdom in some ways, thank God for the police, you know, especially if you're obeying the law. If some nut breaks in your house, you got a right to call the cops or to do whatever. So that's what he's talking about, the grace under this law. Not that these people are good people, but if any government follows Christ or follows the biblical doctrine, then they will be righteous in leaders. So look at verse four, for he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that, which is evil, be afraid for he beareth not the sword in vain, But he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. So why are worldly laws put in place? Well, they used to be to deal with evil. The devil always had a hook in it, but this is the point he's making. You know, if you do wrong, you go to jail. Look at verse. Well, sometimes if you not you don't do wrong today, you go to jail. But you know this is a war on Christ. Look at verse 5. Wherefore, ye must needs be subject not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. So what's he saying here? Okay, now let's just say, we know that this world belongs to the devil. But if you break the law as a Christian, do you think God is okay with that? No, he's not. So God will probably tell the police where you are and have you locked up. Why? Because you're not glorifying him. You're doing your own thing. This is what he's talking about. Now, every law is for Christ, but you know, for those who, those that do right, we need to honor as long as it doesn't go against God's word. Look at verse six. For for this cause pay ye tribute, also, for they are God's ministers attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues tribute to whom tribute is due. Custom unto whom custom is, um, accustomed to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. So he's talking about living your life in a godly way, even to worldly people. But look at verse eight. Oh, no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath what fulfilled the law. So he that loves another or loveth one another. Have fulfilled the law of God." You see, if you fulfill the law of God with loving your neighbor, that you you don't have to worry about the law coming after you if they're righteous. But you see, to love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength, they're fighting against that now. But the point I wanted to make here is that the fulfillment of the law is to love one another. Because if you love one another, you fulfill the last five of the 10 Commandments but you can only keep the second commandment if you can keep the first, which is to love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength. What what Paul is explaining to the Romans here is based on Christian principles, okay? So this is why he says, the fulfillment of the law is to love your neighbor as yourself, okay? So this is what Jesus was talking about. Void of the Holy Ghost, you and I can't love our neighbor, that's why. He had to fulfill the law, and it could only be fulfilled through Jesus. Let's prove this point again. Let's go to Romans, um, Galatians five, Galatians chapter five. Man, it would do us some good if we read our Bibles. That's all it takes. But yet we go up under this filthy, nasty doctrine, believing all sorts of foolishness and garbage because of the fact that we refuse to read. A lot of false prophets out there that just want to make you proud. Man, be proud in Christ, all right? Adore him, get into him, he'll get into you and your mission is finished. You will fulfill the Lord. Look at Galatians 5 and verse one. He says, stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. What was he speaking to the Galatians about? The Galatians had, were, were baptized in the spirit and they believed on Jesus Christ. And then you had these false ministers or these false Pharisee groups that would tell them they needed to be circumcised in order to be righteous in God's eyes. So, you know, Paul tells them in chapter three, you foolish Galatians who have bewitched you that you should not obey the truth. Having begun in the spirit, are you now made perfect by the works of the flesh or of the law? So this is what he was trying to tell them that when you're under, when you're up under the new covenant, you stay under the new covenant. And we're going to even prove on many accounts how this is old. But anyway, the law of bondage was considered the law of Moses. That was a yoke of bondage. Why would we want to be tied to that when we've got liberty in the spirit, in grace, to know Christ and become like him? Look at verse two. Behold, I Paul say unto you, that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. So any part of the Mosaic law, if you're keeping that as a tradition, it's not gonna profit you anything. For I testify that every man that is circumcised, that he is a debtor to do the whole law. So if you keep one law, you're in debt to keep the whole law. So if you're keeping the Sabbath or you're out there doing whatever of the old Mosaic law, then you need to keep the whole law and you're in debt to keep it. Why? Because you refuse the new covenant of Jesus Christ and him saying that it's finished. So the Lord says, okay, now what you need to do is go out there, get a bullock and you better be making a sacrifice. You better own a farm and you better do a sacrifice daily. And you better walk around with jewels around your neck and eating righteous with every little thing and you better not offend in any sort of way or you're gonna get stoned. If this is what you want, then you're gonna be judged by it. Not even the disciples wanted the old law, guys. So anyway, if you keep one part of the law, he's saying in verse three, you're in debt to keep the whole law. He says, Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whomsoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. So if you're justified to keep the old Mosaic law, or anything associated with it, you're outside of the grace of Christ. And I'll tell you something the devil will do if it's not the Holy Ghost. The devil will allow you to make you feel like that you are blessed because you're keeping the old law. He'll do that to you, you know what? Because he wants to alienate you from the life of Christ. Now I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit couldn't find somebody up under the law and teach you slowly and gradually, until you realize, you know what? After studying God's word, I'm not in the old Mosaic law, I'm in the new. God can do that. But I'm making clear here, you gotta be aware of the devil and his craftiness too, because I'll tell you what, you just waiting on the Lord to be made righteous and obeying his words, that's harder to do than the old Mosaic law. The old Mosaic law puffs you up. It makes you feel like, you know, I've been keeping this and I've been keeping that. And I'm just, you know, I'm a good person. Cause you know, we don't do this. I do this, A, B, C, D. See, all that stuff puffs you up and it makes you feel like you're somebody. But the Lord couldn't bring you closer to Christ. It couldn't do it then, it can't do it now. And I'm gonna prove it. But you see, works puff you up. Don't get me wrong. We need um, you know, to be inspired by the spirit unto good works. I'm not against that. But a lot of people, the Lord said in Matthew 7 and 21, many will come to me on that day, saying, Lord, Lord, did we not do all these works? And he says, Away from me, ye that work iniquity, I never knew you, because he never inspired them to do it. That's what we must have an understanding of, guys. So anyway, look at verse five: for we through the spirit, through the spirit, guys. Wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. Why? Because when we take time out with the Lord, he cleans us from all unrighteousness. That's what the spirit does, okay? That we can be in Christ. All we gotta do is believe. Look at verse six. For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything, no uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by what? Love. The two commandments. I want you to think about what Jesus was directing him. Look at verse seven, ye did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. So you see a little you there, a little law, a little me, and that's going to leaven the whole lump. You either believe in Jesus Christ by faith or you choose to try and make it in on your own by law. You cannot put the two together, okay? So anyway, but it didn't come from Christ. So you can only imagine who it came from, the devil. Now, I'm not saying the Mosaic law is the devil, but you must understand that the devil will take something that is old, that God is using, and you know, God has a new covenant. The devil will take an old covenant and resurrect it. Why? Because he wants you out of favor with Christ. So you see, just because you're doing things in the Bible doesn't mean that the devil doesn't have a plan in it. You see how people were convinced that their black skin liberates them? What do you think the devil is doing with that doctrine and bringing all that garbage up? Because he's meaning to cut your very life life source off, you know, with with his so-called truth. Look at Adam and Eve, guys. Look at that. Look at how Adam and Eve, he didn't lie to them fully. He gave them some truth. He told them, okay, that you know, you will be as God, knowing good and evil. He wasn't lying. The devil knew it was little G's. You would govern yourself and fall out of favor with God. He forgot that part. But you see, most false prophets and what the devil likes to do is give you a little bit of truth to lead you to a lie. And it's making clear here that a little leaven, leaveneth the whole lump. If that persuasion didn't come from Christ, then that persuasion is coming from Antichrist because the old Mosaic law, if you understand it, it's in in its entirety, it's only meant to be a schoolmaster to lead us unto Christ. Look at Galatians 3, but look at verse 10. I have confidence in you through the Lord that ye will be uh, none otherwise minded, but he that troubleth you shall bear the, his judgment whosoever he be." So whoever it is that's leading you back to the old Mosaic law, and not telling you to come to Christ by faith and grace and Christ by his spirit, hey, those people will be judged by God whosoever they are. Look at verse 11. And I brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased? I would they were even cut off which trouble you? So Paul was saying, you guys are worrying about circumcision or uncircumcision under the law. Paul would rather you be castrated so they can get back to talking about what God is talking about and what makes sense. Verse 13, for brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. So we are called unto liberty, unto the freedom of Christ. But this is what most, people who copy the Mosaic law do not understand. Yes, we're called unto liberty, but look at what he says next. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by what love serve one another. So we're not supposed to be using this liberty to dwell in the flesh, only to serve one another in love. Verse 14, For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So there it is, we see it again. The fulfillment of the law is what? Loving your neighbor as yourself. Look at verse 15. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. Look at what Paul says next in verse 16. This I say then, walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So I wanna ask people here, did he lead them back up, to, up under the uh, old Mosaic law or did he make clear to them that if they walk in the spirit with Christ, that they won't fulfill the lust of the flesh? Look at verse 17, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the spirit, ye are not under the law. So you guys got a choice. If you are led of the spirit, you are not under the law. Okay. So if you're not being led by the spirit, then you're under the law. And if you're under the law, you're not led to Christ. You're in the old covenant that he had died and and buried with him and resurrected the new covenant for you and I. So you guys got a choice. If you walk in the spirit, you're not under the law. So you can't put the works of the law in the spirit together. They are separate, okay? You take it or leave it. This is what the word of God says. Look at verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, and heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So if you do any works in the flesh, and that even includes the old Mosaic law, okay? You will not inherit the kingdom of God. Jesus didn't die so you can try and put both of those together. He died so that we can lay one to rest and become what Jesus Christ wants us to be. Look at verse 22, but the fruit of the spirit is, there's that word again, love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness and temperance. Against such there is no law. There is no law to govern the spirit. There is no law for love, joy, peace, long suffering, goodness, gentleness, faith, meekness and temperance. No law for these guys, okay? You can't put a law on how much you love. You can't put a law on how much joy you should have. These are fruit of the spirit that will manifest Christ in us and the works of Christ. No law. Look at verse um, 24. And they that are Christ who belong to Jesus, have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. How is the flesh crucified? We die daily, how do we do that? We walk in the spirit and we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. If we walk in what God calls us to, the old man will die out all by himself, okay? This is how we crucify those affections and lusts by giving everything to the spirit of God to sanctify us and take away those things that are not of God. Look at verse 25, if we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. What's the difference with this? If we live in the spirit right now, guys, you and I are living in the spirit, why? We're partaking of a spiritual word, we're reading the Bible, we're hearing the words of the Bible, that's living in the spirit, but you must also walk in the spirit. That means even when you leave here, you should be walking with Christ. Okay, you should be led by the Spirit, not only to live in the Spirit, but be led by the Spirit. Okay, look at verse 26, let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another and envying one another. So as you can see, once again, what Jesus was referring to in Matthew 5, 17 and following was about the fulfillment of the law. And what is it? goes right back to the two commandments of Matthew 22 and 35. Love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That is the first and great commandment of the law. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law, all the law, all the law and the prophets. Let's move on. I wanna to go to a quick spot. Uh, real. Uh, I wanna to go to Acts 15, guys. I want you guys to see this. Acts chapter 15, because they're going to address what happened to the Israelites or to the Jews or the disciples, you may as well say. Acts 15, guys, let's look at this. We're gonna be talking about dietary laws and everything else concerning that too. Acts 15, look at verse 1. Guys, have your Bible out in front. It says, and certain men which came down from Judea, taught the brethren and said, except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. So they're trying to append salvation or circumcision to salvation. This is what they're being taught. This is the issue that happened to the Galatians that they're addressing in the book of Acts. He says, when therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. And being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria declaring the the conversion of the Gentiles and they caused great joy unto all the brethren. So what were Paul and Barnabas doing? Going to different places, preaching to the Gentiles about salvation. Look at verse uh, four. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders, and they declared all things that God had done with them. But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees, which believed saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Oh my, oh my, here we go again. This is what's got half the church and half the Hebrew Israelites and all these people believing that this is what's supposed to be. But as you can see, there was a sect of the Pharisees, okay, that were telling people that they needed to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses along with salvation. These are those brethren crept in unawares in Galatians 2 to spy out your liberty. Look at verse six, and the apostles and elders came together for to consider of this matter. And when there there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, men and brethren, ye know how that a good while ago, God made choice among us, that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us." So you know, if he's coming to deliver Gentiles, Gentiles don't keep the old Mosaic law. They believed, he said, in their hearts, which knoweth in their hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us. The Gentiles believe by faith. Look at Peter, look at verse nine, and put no difference between us and them. So that's Jew or Gentile, doesn't matter. Purify their hearts by faith. Your heart can only be purified by faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Verse 10 says, now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. So if the Jews are not able to bear it, the disciples were not able to bear it. I guess we come along as some real, you know, uh, super Christians that we're going to bear the law. You see how the devil is making a fool out of you? You see how he's getting you to believe something that's not even true? He says, look at what Peter said under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost in verse 10. Now therefore, why tempt ye God? Why would you tempt God? If God sent Jesus Christ in the person of God to come and to clean us out and to give us his spirit under the new covenant with such a sacrifice that he bore for you and I, why would we tempt God to try and bring back the old Mosaic law to overdo what Jesus Christ had done for you and I? You know what you're doing? You're not accepting the free gift. You see, you're trying to be made righteous by your own standards, just like Adam and Eve. And when you do so, you tempt God. And I want you to hear that. I don't care what you think of this or what you think of me. You're tempting God. You're playing games and you're forsaking Christ. What does antichrist mean? That which is against or in place of Christ, and you're putting something in front of the gift that Jesus Christ gave you and I. You better think about that one. Look at verse 11. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. Then all the multitude kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. And after they had held their peace, James answered saying, men and brethren hearken unto me. Now James is going to address a different part of the law that the enemy had tried to deal with. The enemy tried to take away. So he says, look at verse 14, Simeon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name and to this agree the words of the prophets as it is written. After this, I will return and build again the tabernacle of David, which is fallen down, and I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up, that the residue of men might seek after the Lord, excuse me, and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. Wherefore my sentence is that we trouble not them, which from among the Gentiles are turned to God. So even they got sense enough to know, these people are turned to God, you don't want to offend them or go against them. Look at verse 20, he says, but that we write unto them, that they abstain from pollutions of idols. Okay, so this is one of those things that they're addressing here that was a part of the old covenant that Jesus says to hang all the law and the prophets. So what are they telling the Gentiles? Abstain from the pollution of idols. What does that go under? Loving the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Okay, that's the first and great commandment. And from fornication, that is both. That's loving the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength and loving your neighbor. If you love your neighbor, you're not going to fornicate with them, okay? So this is telling us here that this can be spiritual fornication, and it can be physical. And it says, and from things strangled and from blood. So the only law that the Lord gave concerning the the dietary laws today is to do away with things that are strangled and from the blood, okay? Okay. Now, they could have mentioned pork, they could have mentioned shellfish, they could have mentioned all those things, but all they mentioned was things that were strangled with the blood. That's important. That's so important that we cover that and we have an understanding of that. Now, if you don't want to eat pork or shellfish because of your diet, you want to do that, then that's fine, but you see, if you're doing it to uphold the old Mosaic law and it's done away, You want to do it for health reasons or you got your particular things that you like, so be it. But if you're doing it up under the old Mosaic law and you're trying to tell other people to do it, now you're in error, okay? So that's important that we have an understanding of this. I want to move on because I don't want to waste another minute. Let's go to Romans eight, where we are going, oh, Romans seven, Romans seven, all right? And then, yeah, let's see, okay. Okay. All right, Romans chapter seven. These two guys are going to seal the deal, okay? If you go back to the law, it's because you want to. It's not because that's what we're commanded to do. Romans seven, look at verse one. He says, know ye not brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the Lord hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. Paul is saying, Hey, you guys who keep the law, you know that, right? The Lord has dominion over a man as long as he lives. Look at verse two. For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So you guys know up under the old Mosaic law, and that's even upheld today, that a woman cannot divorce except for certain reasons that are in First Corinthians chapter seven, and um, you know in other areas um, in the Gospels that you know there has to be stipulations for divorce. But he's bringing the point up. You know that a woman is bound by law to her husband. Look at verse three. So then, if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead. She is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Okay, so we understand here that that was the law. Look at verse four, why is Paul saying this? Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that ye should bring forth fruit unto God. So he's making clear here that just how a wife is bound to her husband, unless he be dead, you're not bound to the old Mosaic law, unless you're, you know, Christ died for us. So that's important that we must understand we're under a new covenant. We're not under the old Mosaic law. So he says, you know, that we're meant to bring, look at verse five, but when we were in the flesh, the motions of sins, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. So notice, even though they were upholding the old Mosaic law, they were only bringing forth fruit unto death. So you see, the law needed to be fulfilled. It needed to come to, a, to an end. It needed to come to a pinnacle. And that pinnacle was in Jesus Christ. If you kept the law all by yourself, you would, you know, you were scheduled for death. Why do you think when Jesus Christ died, okay, that the people from the old covenant were raised and walked the streets and marched into heaven? Because his death was to fulfill the old covenant and the new. Anyway, so anyway, he says in verse six, but now we are delivered from the law, that being dead, wherein, we were held that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Another word for letter is law. So you see, we're supposed to be serving in the newness of the spirit, not the oldness of the letter or law. Look at verse seven. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I have not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. So God knows, and Paul's explaining here, that the law, when it mentions in 1 Corinthians 15, that the strength of sin is the law, it's true. You know, because you must think about that if we have a rebellious sin nature, that anytime we hear law, that's gonna perk up up in us, and we have a natural inclination to defy God's law, okay? So he knows that this is a nature because whenever it said, thou shall not covet, Paul is saying, now I know the law. When it tells you don't fornicate, don't do this, don't do that. You see how those things just draw you like, man, I can't, but I want to. You see, this nature goes all the way back to the beginning of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. God told them that they could eat from any tree except that one. But look at how the devil was able to entice them to. You see, this is the type of thing that God wants to make us righteous and not bound to law. Look at verse eight. But sin taken occasion by the commandment wrought in me all manner of concupiscence, but without the law, sin was dead. So you see, a lot of people will do some of the things that's right until they're exposed to the law. When they're exposed to the law, then that sin perks up in you. Look at verse nine. For I was alive without the law once but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. That's what happens. Whenever we're told thou shalt not, we will say in our flesh, if we're not born again, I shall. You know, because the desire, why do you think people are still up under the old Mosaic law? Even though you're telling them about the new covenant, you see how it's in the will of man to defy God. I want my own way. I wanna try and be right by my own standards. I want to serve the Lord Jesus Christ my way. That's that same nature, guys, because if you're a part of one covenant, then you're forsaking the other. The two don't run together. So what does that make you? Look at verse 10. And the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. For sin taking occasion by the commandment deceived me and by it, it slew me. Wherefore the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. Was then that that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. So in other words, the law served its purpose, okay? The law had its time. But now this is the time of Christ to be like him. I use the example of having a dog. When a dog is young or he's a pup, he is trained, okay, with a collar. He's being led around. He's told where to go. When that master enters into relationship with that dog and that dog begins to trust his master, he becomes like his master. He'll know when it's dinner time. He knows not to walk off the curb. He knows not to fall behind or run ahead. He is going to walk with his master. That's what the law was. It was a schoolmaster. When you see a mature dog, he's not on the leash. He is walking alongside of his master. When his master tells him sit, he sits. When his master tells him to get up, he gets up. He automatically knows at a certain age, he is not to go into the kitchen. He's not to jump on beds. He's not to be on the couch, but he knows that he's got a dog rug. What is he? He is in line with the law that you have placed before him, which is what God wants you and I to be. Not the law of Moses, but the law of the spirit okay so anyway uh, he says uh, look at verse uh, verse 13 was then that which is good made death unto me God forbid let's use that example of having a leash on a dog was it bad at that time God forbid it didn't have anything to do with that that was all in training buddy we're in the new covenant but sin that I might appear sin working death in me by that which is good and sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. So what we understand about the law is it couldn't do anything for your conscience. All it reminded you regularly is that you're a sinner and that you need to constantly make sacrifices in order to to appease God, but it never took away your sin nature. That's why they had the day of atonement year after year. But now we've got Jesus Christ who died once and for all, for all times, that we can now live in a new way. Look at verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. So you see, you couldn't have even kept the old Mosaic law. He says the law is spiritual, but I'm carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. So what does that mean? That which I do, I don't even understand. You think these people understood two turtle doves? blood, uh, sin offerings, peace offerings, they might have understood when to do them, but they didn't really understand why. Okay, so what he says in verse 15 is, for that which I do, I allow not. I don't even understand. Not for what I would, that I do not, you know, or for what I um, for what I would, I do not. So in other words, for what you should be doing, I don't do. And then he says, uh, but what I hate, that I do. That is the struggle between a fallen man and a spiritual man. That is the struggle that you and I must go through to become righteous. He says, that that I would, I allow not. I don't even understand this. I'm going to church. I'm doing all these laws. I'm not eating pork, but yet there's a sin nature still within me. And then he says, that that I should be doing, I can't even do. I don't even have the strength to do. Or that that I should do, I won't do because it goes against the nature of God. And then he says, that I hate, that I do. That's your sin. Have you ever tried to stop sinning on your own? It cannot be done. You've got to have the life of Christ in you, the only sinless one that has given you and I his spirit so that he can clean us out every day to be righteous. That's what this is about. Verse 16, if then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law, and that is good. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. So Paul knows his flesh is a problem. His flesh is sinful. What does he need? A new nature. You need to be born again. You need a new life, okay? For um, For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. So you see, the will to do good is present. I desire to do well in my heart, but I can't because of my nature. Sinners sin. You don't sin because it's what you do. You sin because it's what you are. We need to be born again. All we've ever done was sin from the beginning. We need a new nature that we won't be sinful. And you're only gonna have that in the person of Jesus Christ, so he says in verse eighteen again, to will, uh, for to will is present with me, you know. So I want to do well, but how to perform it? That which is good, I find not, because your nature needs to be changed. Verse nineteen, for the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. So I want to do good, but I'm not doing good because of my nature. But the evil that I shouldn't be doing, that I have no problem doing. Look at verse twenty. Now, if I do that, I would not. Uh, I would not. It is uh, no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would, that when I would do good, evil is present with me. So he understands. There's a law that's in him that when he would do good. Evil seems to be following him around. Look at verse 22. For I delight in the law of God after what? The inward man. So, what law is Paul talking about? You see, he started out with the old Mosaic law being a problem, trying to perform it, but I just can't, you know, be right with it. And then he talks about that he delights in the law of God after the inward man. The inward man is the law of the spirit. I'm going to prove this look at verse 23, but I see another law. So while I'm delighting in the law of the spirit, Paul says that he sees another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. So Paul is saying, while I'm delighting in the law of the spirit, Man, there's this old Mosaic law. There's this law of the flesh that's coming in and trying to dominate me. Okay, look at verse 24. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? I mean, from the body of this death. I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. So as you can see, with the mind of God or with the law, with the, um, the law of God, you know, you serve the Lord. That's the law of the spirit. But with the flesh, you serve the law of sin. So Paul says, if you walk in the spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Hey, that choice is up to us. Last scripture of the night, and I am going to prove everything. Everything is gonna be brought into this one place where we can truly see what the fulfillment of the law is. That's Romans chapter eight, and we are going to begin at verse one. This should sum it all up. Now, after this, if you wanna go back to the old Mosaic law, knock yourself out. But just know it wasn't Jesus Christ who told you to go back there, okay? You went according to what you believe. And I don't mean to be so passionate about this, guys. I love people. And I want people saved. I want people to know the truth because, you know, there's nothing like undoing what Jesus Christ had done. That's foolishness. Look at Romans 8. Let's look at verse 1. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation. So there's no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. So obviously the flesh is referring to the law. We just read that in Romans seven, but he's saying here, there's no condemnation to those who were in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Now look at verse two, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. So as you can see the law of the Spirit is what we follow today through faith and grace in Jesus Christ to be made right by His spirit. And he says that that spirit has made him free from the law of sin and death. There are two laws here. One is in the spirit, the other is in the in sin and death, which is the old Mosaic law. He says for what the law could not do, that's the Mosaic law, and that it was weak through the flesh. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemn sin in the flesh. There you have it. He sent, he says, what the old Mosaic law could not do because it was weak through the flesh, God sends his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemn sin in the flesh. So Jesus came as the solution. There's no other solution outside of that. Look at verse 4 that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled. So why did Jesus come? That the righteousness of the law will be fulfilled. How was it done? That he gave his own life, okay? He died in the flesh to keep you and I from being sinful. He took our sin to the cross. That is the fulfillment of the law, but I'm going to continue. So that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk after the flesh, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Mosaic law can't make you right. Only following the spirit of God can. Look at verse 5. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit the things of the spirit. So those who um you know, are after the flesh, you think about fleshly things, but those who are after the spirit, spiritual things. Verse 6. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is the enemy or enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So he's making clear right here that the carnal mind is the enemy of God. Now I'm going to define those who are of the old Mosaic law. The Bible is making clear here through the inspiration of the Spirit and Paul that you've got a carnal mind. Look at verse seven again, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. Why is it the enemy of God? For it is not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be. What is the law of God? The law of the Spirit the reason why you can't grasp it, the reason why you keep performing, the reason why you wanna do things the way that you wanna do it is because you've got a carnal mind. All you've got to do is draw to Jesus, get into him, he'll get into you when your mission is finished, but you can't do it. You know why? You've got a carnal mind and that's the enemy of God. Look at verse eight. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. And that's why he says, when Paul says in Galatians 5, that any man that believes that he is justified by the law, he has fallen from grace, because you don't even get it. The Lord don't make you righteous, man. Look at verse 9. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so, be that the spirit of God dwell in you. So you walk in the spirit when the spirit of God dwells in you. And then he says... Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So if you don't have the spirit, you're not of Christ. This is why you can't grasp it and understand this. Look at verse 10. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. So does this mean that a Christian won't sin? No, it means that there are areas in your life that are governed by the devil that should be governed by Christ. This is the process of sanctification. This is what the Spirit does. The Spirit changes your nature over time from faith to faith, glory to glory, so that you can be with Christ, okay? So he says, if you are of Christ, if the Spirit is in you, then the body becomes dead because of sin. I mean, the body is dead to sin. Look at verse 11. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. So you see that resurrection power, that life that Jesus Christ was raised with is meant to take us from one life unto another. We once lived in sin and death. Now Jesus has come so that we might be made righteous and live the high life. Live the new way. Okay, look at verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. Why is he saying this? You don't owe the old Mosaic law anything. Okay, you are not in debt to the old Mosaic law to live after the old Mosaic law. Look at verse 13. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit, to mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live." So what does God want our work to be of the new covenant? Inward. When we get it right inwardly, when we allow the spirit to clean us out, then outwardly we can be what God wants us to be. That's why Paul says in Romans two, that a real Jew is one inwardly in the heart, not because of your black skin or your outward performance or you know whether you're Hasidic or anything else, it's got nothing to do with that. A true Jew is one inwardly because the people of God house the spirit of God. You're dealing with flesh and blood anymore, man. Look at verse 14. For as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. That's the fulfillment of the law. That's what Jesus Christ came to make right. Verse 15, for ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. So he calls the old Mosaic law here a spirit of bondage, to fear, because that's what people do. Oh, let me eat right. Let me keep the Sabbath. Let me try and do all these things to perform right for God. That's a spirit of fear and bondage. Oh, I got to be ready because at midnight, this thing is getting ready to be. There's no freedom in the spirit like that. God works through us through his spirit. Instead of receiving the spirit of fear unto the law of bondage, we're given the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Daddy, Father. You see, we become like Christ, making us the sons of God. And there is no law that's gonna do that other than the spirit that Jesus breathed on his church 2,000 years ago. But we have not, look at verse uh, 16 the spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So what tells us that we're children of God? The spirit itself by itself bears witness, tells the truth with our spirit, the place we commune with God, that we are the children of God, only through the Holy Ghost. Verse 17, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. So if we suffer with Christ, we're gonna be like Christ. And when we fulfill our mission in the Lord, we will be joint heirs with Christ. We will be right at his throne with him as a faithful bride because of the spirit, not the Mosaic law. That's the fulfillment guys, verse 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. So the earnest expectation of the creature is you and I. Okay, we were sinners from birth. But what are we waiting for with the Spirit for the Holy Ghost to do with us? It says it waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. What is that? Christ in you is the hope of glory. That's the fulfillment of the law. Look at verse 20. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same, excuse me, in hope. So as you can see, that's what he's leading us to. But the, the manifestation of the sons of God is the fulfillment of the law that Jesus Christ died for. Hopefully we got some understanding tonight about the fulfillment of the law, because it had nothing to do with the Mosaic law. It does not incorporate the old law with the new law. It doesn't, uh, or the old covenant with the new covenant. It does not incorporate your old sinful life with your present life. you either, we were born harlots, okay? But Jesus Christ came to wash us clean that we may be faithful brides without spot, Blemish or wrinkle. When Jesus said in uh, John 19 and 30, it is finished, he totally meant it is finished. That's the fulfillment of the law. That's what Jesus Christ wanted. And that's the only thing that he's coming back for. Anything else is false doctrine meant to lead you to hell and never knowing Jesus Christ. So I just want to tell people here, you know. If you know you're not saved and nobody knows this more than you, you can give your life to Jesus Christ today. You can repent of your sins, turn from your wickedness, believe in his death, burial, and resurrection. Believe that he fulfilled the law. Believe through his stripes we are healed, and in his shed blood we are washed clean. Ask him to forgive you, walk with him, get baptized, and he will give you the Holy Ghost. And from there, we can live every day in a fruitful relationship with Jesus Christ from faith to faith, glory to glory, as he takes sin from us, that we can be one with him. Christ in us is the hope of glory. And just believe that he's coming back for a church without spot, blemish or wrinkle. Okay, so I'm gonna pray out now and then from there we will close. You know, if you guys like the teaching, subscribe to the channel or don't, but either way, we are gonna give you the biblical truth so that you will not be led to lies. Do I rely on my own wisdom? Absolutely not, but only the inspiration of the Holy Ghost that all things may be brought in decency, clarity, and in order, and of course, with love. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, in Jesus name, Lord, we thank you for this time of sharing. We thank you for the word of God that is able to save our souls. We pray, Lord, that your word pricks the heart, the mind, the ear, and the eyes, Lord, that we may see it, that we may feel it, that we may have a desire to glorify you, and that we may have a desire for truth, that we may choose life and not death. Lord, I ask for a heavy anointing to fall on all the listeners, for those who heard your word, for those who believe on the truth, that they may receive you and not give themselves over to false prophets and ravening wolves. We pray and we ask, Lord, that all these things be done for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So guys, that's gonna wrap it up for tonight. I'm Minister Derek Hallett of Sound the Trumpet Ministries, soundthetrumpetministries.com. Tomorrow, it'd be cool if you guys hang out with us. We got a teaching at 7.30 Pacific time, 10.30 Eastern time, and it's going to be called Wisdom is justified of her children. Wisdom is justified of her children. So I just wanna say to you, I love you all until next time or tomorrow night at least. Uh, And guys, don't forsake your prayer closet, okay? Don't forsake your prayer closet, draw closer to the Lord, because our power is in communion and prayer with Jesus Christ. There are no amount of works that you can do that competes with your prayer closet that's the place that we commune with the Lord. That's the place that we go. We grow strong. OK, so once again, I'm Minister Derek Hallett of Sound the Trumpet Ministries. I love you all. Until next time, have a good night. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper?